the Amish category is just growing so much because especially on a shelf, a reader can go in and see that woman in the bonnet and they, they buy the book. The voice you just heard belongs to Jennifer Beckstrand. I'm Jennifer Beckstrand and I write Amish romantic fiction. I'm also a mother of six and a grandmother of eight. And I love crossword puzzles and pickleball and singing. Who met with me over Zoom in the social distancing of 2020 so I could inundate her with my questions about her career as an Amish romance novelist. I'm your host, Liz Christensen, and it's all in the telling. Welcome to episode 84 with my guest Jennifer Beckstrand, a successful Amish romance novelist. I have loads of questions that I, I'm ready to like throw at you, but before we jump in, just in case anybody is confusing Amish with Shakers or Quakers, or <laughs> what makes it an Amish romance novel? So Amish is a specific religious tradition um, most Amish are in the United States, but they came here from Germany in the 1600s to escape religious persecution. And so it's a religion. There are, yes, there are Mennonites, there are Quakers, there are Hutterites, there are a lot of different um, religious traditions. But the Amish, most people know them because the women wear bonnets and they drive buggies and they don't have, they don't participate in modern technology. They usually don't have phones in their homes or electricity, things like that. So. What brought you to writing Amish romance novels? Were you writing Amish mysteries or were you writing romance novels or did you just jump right into this specific niche? So I started writing a historical Western. Oh, probably, well, it was after my fourth child was born. I couldn't sleep and I started writing and 16 years later I finished this book it was a historical western novel and I thought well maybe I should try to get it published so I went to a writers conference and I met with an editor there and I started pitching my book to her and she she stopped me about 30 seconds in and she said how steamy is this book? And I said, you mean like sex? She said, yes. How much sex does this book have in it? And I said, well, it doesn't have any sex. She said, oh, well, I'm not interested. But she said, if maybe you would fit really well in the Christian romance category. So she actually gave me the name of an agent. And she said, why don't you contact this agent and see if she might be interested in your book? So I contacted her. And she um, actually called me and she said, I think you're a great writer. But she said, Western romances aren't selling right now. And the big thing that's selling is Amish romances, which seems weird. But, you know, it's the category has just exploded. And so she said, why don't you try writing an Amish romance? And I thought, how am I going to do that? So I uh, flew to Pennsylvania. I met with a bunch of Amish people. I did a ton of research. And I wrote the first 50 pages of an Amish, and she, she called me back. I sent her the 50 pages. She called me back, and she said, let's do this. Finish that book, and we'll sell it. So um, two months later, I had a contract for three books, and I've written 24 Amish romances since then. So that's kind of how I got into it, kind of accidentally. But uh, my agent had really good instincts. 
and come to find out there were, she probably had 10 writers that she told to do the same thing, write Amish romances. And many of them are best-selling authors now. So, so Amish romances must be reaching beyond the Amish community. If yes. Oh yes. No, no, mostly Amish don't read their, read those romances, <laughs> but um, <laughs> so yes, it's the Christian romance reader. And there are some who will only read Amish. They just love Amish. There are others who will never read an Amish. So, um, but it is a definite niche in the market and it's, people love them. So yes, yeah, the Christian romance reader. And there are millions of those readers. So it's really fun. So an Amish romance isn't just um, about a lack of reference to a cell phone in the book. <laughs> um, it's also a level of um, like sexual moral cleanliness. Yes. Yeah, so it's about Amish people, right? So one of the reasons that a lot of people like to read Amish romances is because they like that simpler kind of time. They like a simpler kind of romance where it's not really heavy. Some of the conflict isn't as heavy and people, yeah, people live their faith. Um, yes, there's no sexual content. They don't, that's one of the reasons they read Amish books is because of that. They don't like that content when they read on a craft level, stepping completely away from any like morality reasons why we do that. It makes me think that you get to play a lot with anticipation and tension in a way that a book that's going to go there. Um, <laughs> the, the, it reminds me of like really good suspense writing. Cause once you've done the jump scare, mm -hmm. you're scared, but then it, it's over. Right. And then we have to build that all back up again. And and you're doing the romantic equivalent of never totally scaring us. And so it just builds. Is that a fair comparison? Yeah, it is. It's um, because, well, in my mind, I think romance, to me, romance and sex don't completely equate. I mean, I guess sex is like the, you know, the very end all be all of romance. But I feel like there's so much more romance leading up to that. So yes, I think that's very true. You kind of have to, you build up to that. And I think the, the sexual tension, that's the word I'm looking for. I think the sexual tension is very, can be very strong in a novel like that without going all the way. So yeah, that's, that's a really good question. In a lot of fairy tales, the, the penultimate thing that happens is the kiss. Uh -huh. Right. Um, in an Amish romance, is there is there some sort of like token where it's like that's the thing that once we've achieved that we've won, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. You know that's a good question. In my romances, it usually is the kiss or the proposal of marriage. It's one of those two things, and they often happen together. It sounds very Jane Austen as well. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I went to Wisconsin to do some research and I gave an Amish woman one of my books. And then the next time I came back, I was told that she would not let her daughters read my book because it had a kiss in it. Oh, so I would say, and I haven't read every Amish romance out there, but I would say 
maybe 50% don't even have a kiss. It's very chaste and even holding hands. So in that thing, the, the ultimate would be a marriage proposal or declaring your love for each other without touching. <laughs> but I, I have to have a kiss. I just, it's just too romantic. So <laughs> it's the payoff you want. For yes, <laughs> that's right. That helps answer one of my more strange particular questions, which was, why do you have a blog if your Amish romance readers, I assumed that the readers were Amish as well. <laughs> I was like, but why a blog though? Because none of them would read it. I don't understand. <laughs> so um, I have to just point out my own ignorance because I found it amusing that <laughs> assuming that then the vast majority of your market would also be Amish people. Uh, on a marketing level, obviously you found like the right agent with the right niche, but like mm -hmm. how... How does somebody decide they want to be an Amish romance writer and then find that group? Well, it's actually super easy to find. There are several Amish groups on Facebook. There's a big one called Keeping Up with the Amish, and they are very active. They have meetings every year where they get together and um, have activities. So there's a very large Amish fan presence on Facebook and just on the web in general. You'll find it all over. So yeah, so that's a way to get together and, and figure out your audience. Uh, the, some of these bigger Christian publishers like Thomas Nelson, Zondervan, um, Ravel, they um, have several Amish authors and they're obviously pushing them very hard and so it's it's very easy to find your niche and to find your audience what's some of the most surprising stuff that you've encountered um either because you learned it or or you imagined it um that would not have happened if you weren't writing amish romance as far as my writing or just yeah, or your background research to do your writing what surprised you about this this category or this genre it's it surprised me how very loyal readers are to this genre. They the readers who love it love it and will only read that. And it is surprising that there a lot of readers are quite particular that you get it right. And but it's funny because they have a certain view of the Amish, which in some cases isn't even true. I have one friend who, um, who writes Amish, and she she's actually one of the more popular in the genre, and she wrote about the kitchen floor, which was linoleum. The Amish, it, they use linoleum on their floors because it's so easy to clean and take care of, and it's cheap. But uh, she put that in her book, and her editor said, nope, you have to say it's a wood floor because everybody thinks that the Amish have wood floors. <laughs> so <laughs> it's stuff like that. And other things like a lot of Amish have cell phones, a lot of them, mo all of them mostly, have um, electricity in their businesses. I, I had a friend, an Amish friend in Pennsylvania, and I would call her and ask her questions. 
about uh, different things. And I would call her parents' quilt shop because they had a, a phone in their quilt shop. Uh, one day, I called her and left a message, and she called me back on a different number. And she said, call me on this number from now on. And I said, oh, what is it? She said, well, it's my cell phone. <laughs> I said, you have a cell phone? <laughs> and she said, well, my husband is a logger, and he goes out by himself to cut down trees, and I don't want him to be, be alone without a way to get a hold of me. So this is his cell phone. And so um, a lot of times they do that to kind of get around the rules, navigate the modern world. And um, I think a lot of readers don't, don't really expect that. They want it to be or expect it to be more, more pure and simple. It sounds like it would feel very period in terms of it being old. Hmm. Do you have moments where um, Amish characters are brushing up against a modern world where I, as a reader, would be instantly reminded that, like, oh, maybe this place takes place, like, five years ago and not, you know, a hundred years ago or two hundred years ago? Yes. Well, and when I first started writing, I really pictured a pioneer setting, you know, 200, 150, 200 years ago. But... Um, the Amish are so integrated with the English world. They call that's the modern world. They call the people who aren't Amish English and they are so integrated in that world that yes, every, every book, every story brushes up against the modern world in very, very significant ways. Um, so the Amish, they have buggies and they don't believe in owning cars or driving cars, but they hire drivers to take them everywhere. So Amish are always in cars. And like I talked about with the cell phones, they all have phones in their businesses. Many of them have cell phones and they're always brushing up against the modern world. And some of my stories are about Amish people who fall in love with someone who's not Amish and they have to navigate that that's a very big conflict in um an amish story um so yeah they're always brushing up against the modern world um sometimes heavily in books and sometimes not so much it sounds like though if i bring that into our part of the conversation about the linoleum floor that your readers want them to brush up against that in a conflict or in an external way and not be reminded by about it being modern based on the identity of the Amish character itself. Yes, that's a that's a really good point. And in my first books, I did a lot less of that where like, you know, they were churning butter and uh, things like that, where very few Amish churn butter, you know, they just go to the grocery store <laughs> and get their butter. So yeah, that's, that's really a good point. I, and I, there are enough Amish books now and Amish authors that I think readers are kind of moving their expectations a little bit in that sense that they're more, they're, they're slowly moving towards more of a modern and realistic interpretation of how the Amish really live. 
I want to ask you about your process. Are you a snowflake writer? Are you a discovery writer? Do you believe in a three-act structure or a five-act structure? Uh, just tell me kind of how you write. With most of my books, I send in a proposal to my editor very first thing. So the, the very first thing I do is I just think of characters and a conflict and I send in a one paragraph proposal to my editor that will get me a contract. So once I have a contract, I've got this, this proposal and I flesh it out mostly because my editor wants me to, I flesh it out to about a six page synopsis. And then the way I write is I do write from that synopsis I make notes as I go along the way of the chapters and the scenes I want. I'm not one that says this is act one, act two, act three, but it always just seems to naturally fall that way. So I'm not sure why that is, but um, so yeah, so I do have a plan. I'm not really a pantser, but I do, um, it's not a really, um, structured plan. It's, you know, it's a, it's a synopsis and it's just, okay, what, what needs to happen next? What, what scene do I need to write today? And I definitely write in a linear fashion. I can't write the last chapter before I've written everything before it. Do you take that very first draft back to your editor? Yes. Um, a lot of writers, you know, will write the first draft, the first draft is just kind of pouring it out there on the page. I don't do that. I'm, maybe it's because I'm a perfectionist. My first draft is pretty much the one I send to my editor. Um, I, and he, my editor is, has a reputation for being one of those who doesn't really require a lot of changes. So oftentimes I'll send it in and he'll say, okay, this looks great, and then he'll send it off to the copy editor. But I know other editors are a lot more picky. I am I feel lucky because he doesn't do much to mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, you say you're very particular. So how, how long does your first draft take you? Once you've got that six-page synopsis, are you writing pretty fluidly or are you going back and doing stuff before you can move forward? Yes. I kind of go back and look, I try to write 10,000 words a week when I'm writing. Sometimes that's super, super hard. I'm on, on Saturday night at midnight, I'm trying to finish my 10,000 <laughs> words, but I'm writing red rum, red rum, red rum. Um, but, um, other times it goes really fast if it's really flowing. Theoretically, I can write a book in about 10 weeks, depending on how long it is. That's usually what it takes me. And, and that's writing 10,000 words. But like you said, that's also going back and editing as I go. So that's about how long it takes me. Um, wait, you said when you're writing, do you take uh, planned off seasons or breaks or... How does yes. that work for you? Usually I take, it kind of depends on my, my deadlines, but I mostly take the whole summer off. It's just too hard with everything going on. 
Um, so I do have like an editorial schedule where um, I'll say from this week to this week, I'm going to be writing this book. And then I might take three weeks off. And then this week to this week, I'm going to be writing this book. Yeah. And I really need those times off because stuff that I put off, um, especially marketing stuff, you know, just piles up. And so then I have to take some time off to, to do that. I do find that if I, you know, if I start writing, it's just better if I just go, 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 go until I finish. I feel like I, you know, your mind gets into a flow. And, and if you're stopping and starting, that's not good. Your marketing schedule. Talk to me about that because I've, I've encountered writers or, or people who want to go into writing who think that once they have an editor, all they do is write and there's nothing else that they need to do. So what is it that you do for a marketing schedule? I'm traditionally published. I mean, I've got a publisher in New York. And so it's, for me, it's a little bit easier than someone who's self-published. So my marketing is a lot of uh, Facebook and my website, keeping my website up. Um, I have started doing some of my own ads on places like BookBub and um, Amazon. So for me, it's keeping up with um, a lot of the social media stuff. So I've hired an assistant to do that because it takes just too long, just takes too long. I still in interact with my readers, but my assistant is up on my Facebook page and posting things and Okay, initiating the posts kind mm -hmm. of a thing. Mm -hmm. And the, the really um, successful self-publishers have got a very well-defined marketing schedule. This is when I'm going to do this ad. This is when I'm going to do this ad. I have not done that, which I probably need to. But uh, right now, I've just, I'm just relying on what my publisher does. And they do quite a bit of print ad buys and... They do quite a bit on social media too, BookBub and everything. So that takes a lot of the pressure off me. So, Talk to me about your interactions with libraries and schools or book fairs, any of the other um, non-bookstore things that you're involved with. Uh, there's not a lot. I spoke at the Davis County Library seems like so long ago, last year, <laughs> before COVID. Um, so there's not a lot of that. Um, I do occasionally, we'll do a book signing. Barnes & Noble here in Bountiful, now in Farmington, has been very kind. They will always do a book signing whenever I want. The problem with stuff like that, like a book signing, you know, if you're not, you know, somebody really famous... <laughs> And <laughs> I don't know, I used to walk through Costco. They don't do this anymore, but, you know, you'd see those people sitting there hoping that you will come and talk to them and buy their book so they can sign it. And, oh, that, it's just, and that's how it is. Unless you're somebody super famous, that's what a book signing is. And it just is not even, it's not even worth it. So I usually, when I do a book signing, I'll call all the people in my neighborhood and say, please come to my book signing. And, and I have enough friends that, you know, I usually get an, a fair crowd, but, you know, a lot of times it's just sitting there 
<sighs> hoping that you blend into the furniture or something. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Are most of your book sales coming from like an online niche place or in niche bookstores or is it just because it's so specific and it's fan base is so loyal it's a lot of places that they they just know to go to well i about 50 percent of my books or are ebooks a lion's share of that is on amazon but my biggest buyer is walmart really uh-huh and walmart probably buys you know, maybe 10,000 of each of my books. That's because of my publisher. They have a presence in Walmart. And it's interesting, my um, my publisher, I was probably one of three Amish romance authors in their house until maybe two years ago. They started acquiring a lot more Amish authors. It's just really a growing category. But one thing they told me is, especially in Walmart, something that the readers love is they, Walmart loves to get Amish fiction because a reader goes into Walmart, they look on the shelf and they see a woman in a bonnet. They know exactly what they're going to get and they buy it. Even if it's a, if it's a Christian reader, if it's a Christian book, but it's not Amish, it doesn't immediately stand out as a Christian book, right? right. Yeah, because the bonnet is such an obvious identifier. Yes. And so, so that is what they want. They want a woman in a bonnet on the cover. And my last series was a series about three brothers. And there were three, there was a brother on each of the covers and they didn't sell as well because (laughs) there wasn't a woman in a bonnet. And so in fact, there, my publisher is going to retool one of the covers to see if it will sell better next time. Just, yeah, and, just to make it easy to identify. Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a really interesting thing. They know exactly what they're getting and what they're not getting from yes. one yeah, obvious visual indicator. That's really, um, man, that's just really efficient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. Like, well, I mean, if I think of the things that I'm reading, I don't have anything that I can point to in, in mystery or fantasy or sci-fi or drama or anything that tells me that quickly, here's exactly what will be inside and exactly what won't. Uh, nothing. Very true. Very true. I think fantasy kind of comes close. I, I heard this one podcast where he said, if it has trees and a cape, it's a fantasy, and you know, you know what you're gonna get. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, but you, but you don't know, is, is this headed in a, in a Red Riding Hood direction, or is this a high elf magic? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true, good point, good point. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. Um, I've, I've learned an awful lot talking to you, and I'm, I'm swirling in it, so I'm wondering if there's anything I haven't asked you yet that I was, that I've gotten distracted away from. Um, sorry, I've got your website next to me and, um, I just recognized the picture of your daughter (laughs) as it popped up in a bonnet. She's a cutie. Oh yeah. She's, she's on one of my covers. My first three books, I, um, I got the rights back to from the publisher. And so, but they wouldn't give me the rights to the cover for some reason. So I had to make my own cover. So, I just photographed a few relatives and, <laughs> and re-released it. That's one of those books that's self-published. 
you know, just put it up and it, it makes a few dollars every month. Not very much, but you know, but it's work you'd already done. So yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. When you talk about working as a writer, it, it is work, you know, cause you're a writer. It is, at least for me, it is really hard. And I feel so blessed that I've got this really great career. I've got a fan base. I've got people who love my books, but a lot of times I think, oh, it's so hard. <laughs> you probably, you, you understand that. I know. But, um, also I'm one of my biggest mottos is if it's not fun, you shouldn't do it. And so I, I just feel like, okay, I, this needs to be fun. And, um, I can't remember who it was. Was it, I don't think it was Ernest Hemingway, but some writer said, I don't like to write. I like having written. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of how I feel. I, I love having fans and I love seeing this book with my name on the cover, but it's, it's hard to write. One thing that I really discovered about the Amish is that they are very normal in the sense that they have normal problems, normal desires, you know, normal dreams, dreams. They, you know, they family is most important to them and their faith and the Amish I've met are just really salt of the earth people, but very normal, you know, not, not much different than the rest of us. That, that makes it easy then for it to be read by people who aren't Amish. Yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right. So anyway, I think that's about it. Thank you to my guest, Jennifer Beckstrand. Jennifer, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. I did too. Thank you so much. In the Telling is excitedly preparing for another Halloween special, one in which I'll be sharing ghost stories, scary stories, and Halloween jokes submitted by my listeners. You can share your joke or story with an audio file sent to inthetellingpodcast at gmail.com. You can help more people find In the Telling by leaving a review on Facebook, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcast delivery platform. Find out more about In the Telling at lizzylizzyliz.com. Subscribe to In the Telling Podcast channel on YouTube for bonus content. Theme music by Gordon Vitas. In the Telling is hosted and produced by me, Liz Christensen. Thank you for listening.